It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Before the days of internet and in YouTube, you we was after booing Bobby Heenan and Rick Rude. And Jake would be the break the way he's playing with snakes. Enthusiast of highest taste was always trading some tapes. Dusty said it cold to let me know about hard times. And Randy be the cream and he was reaching for new heights. Flair was always going and Andre was so imposing. Doesn't matter if nobody can seem to beat Hulk Hogan. Turnbuckles and territories. We be stuck to screens in 1980s. And we came them and made them believe. I need turnbuckles and territories. Welcome back to Turnbuckles and Territories, the Gen X era podcast all about professional wrestling. With me as always today is Barry. What's going on, George? And you know that Captain Kiwi is here. Always happy to be here. At a time when Mad Max 2 was a huge box office smash, a new tag team began to dominate pro wrestling. Join us today as we remember the career of the legendary tag team Hawk and Animal, better known as the Road Warriors. Oh, what a rush! Good Lord. We didn't even get 40. We didn't even get past a minute before Captain Kiwi was doing his intro. If he wasn't going to do it, I was going to, because you can't talk about the Road Warriors and not do that. Okay. I mean, I can, but if you can, that's okay. This is a probably one of the most influential tag teams of all time. We definitely had them as our number one pick in our top tag teams of the 1980s list. Yeah, and unanimously, by the way. Unanimously, <laughs> yeah. They they were the one, I think, Barry, you mentioned in the podcast. We had like two tag teams that we agreed on their votes and everything else we were like battling for control of who got where. But the, the Road Warriors, the LOD, we had no question. Okay, yeah. they're the top of the list. Let's just figure out the rest. Yeah, exactly. Right, right. I mean, never has there been a tag team that was so dominating. I won't even say influential. I will say dominating in the wrestling lexicon. They went through so many different organizations, different continents, mm-hmm. and left such a footprint on everything. It's like everybody else is just trying to catch up to them. Now, it's not that there weren't tag teams that did that kind of thing. Certainly the Steiner brothers, the Dudley boys, all of them held multiple titles and multiple organizations across multiple landscapes and continents. But But. I think (laughs) everybody agrees that the Road Warriors as you put it, Barry, they dominated yeah. their competition. They, they they set the standard that I don't think there's anybody that's ever going to come close to them. I mean, no, you and you know, I agree. we've got that new Facebook page where I posted the other day about them being the most dominant tag team going back then. Has anybody come close to what they've done? Is there a modern equivalent? And I see a lot of tag teams trying to reproduce what the Road Warriors did, but none of them are even close to being as successful. Well, Absolutely not. Let's be clear. There's a difference between doing what the Road Warriors did and holding the titles that the Road Warriors held. You can hold the same titles that they did, but nobody's going to do it the way that they did it. Right. Well, and I don't even mean the titling part of it. I'm just talking about the the demeanor, their ring presence. There have been a hundred tag teams in major organizations from the time of the Road Warriors till now who have tried to do that 
we're the big bads. We're the two dominating guys. We're going to beat everybody up. None of them were believable like the Road Warriors were. There's a lot of really great tag teams out there, but none come close to the Road Warriors. Right. Absolutely. And I mean, can you name another tag team that genuinely scared the ever-loving crap out of you just in their way of approaching the ring? Yeah, I mean, I've been up close and personal with a lot of pro wrestlers. I know you guys have as well. And while they're big and massive and intimidating just in their physical presence, very few of them made me feel like (laughs) I would be worried about meeting them in a dark alley. These two guys, (laughs) I swear to God, scared the ever-loving crap out of me. We might as well jump right into the episode because otherwise this is the the whole episode. We're just going to be talking and applauding. It's crazy. But let's go ahead and get into the episode right after this. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. World Wrestling Federation action returns to the Capitol Center Saturday, August 22nd at 8 p.m. Tickets available at the Cap Center box office and all Hex and Ticket Center locations. On the card, Billy Jack Haynes meets the million dollar man Ted DiBiase. For the tag team title, the Hart Foundation will defend against Kamala and Sika. Break the Hammer Valentine battles, Brutus the Barber Beefcake, and the World Wrestling Federation Heavyweight Championship when Killer Khan meets Hulk Hogan. The WWF returning August 22nd to the Cap Center. As we often like to do in the podcast, we might as well start with how the Road Warriors came into being. And oddly enough, they were created and put together by a man named Ole Anderson in Georgia Championship (laughs) Wrestling back in 1983. Not a lot of people give credit to Ole Anderson for the ideas that he had in professional wrestling, but he was probably at the time the number two idea man in professional wrestling, right behind Dusty Rhodes, in my opinion. He had a lot of great ideas and created a lot of great things, not the least of which is the Road Warriors. Now, at the time, Joe Laurinaitis, not Johnny Laurinaitis. People power! Joe Laurinaitis. <laughs> he was already going by the name Animal. He already had that moniker, and he was kind of doing the big brutish wrestler thing, because that's you know, he was that stature. Ole Anderson had the idea. Let me put Mike Hegstrand Hawk with him. And we're going to add them to precious Paul Ellering stable because <laughs> swear to God, this is true. At the time, Paul Ellering had just lost a tag team out of his stable that was made up of Matt Bourne, Doink the Clown. Oh, God. (laughs) And Arn Anderson. Now, there is one crucial point that I think needs to be brought up on this. Prior to wrestling, Laurinaitis and Hegstrand were bouncers in Chicago. Yes. Let, let that linger for just a moment. They were bouncers for <laughs> Chica- in Chicago in the late 70s, early 80s. And that's why they used the Chicago as the birthplace of the Road Warriors for yeah. their storyline, because both guys were from there. And the fact that they were the replacements for Doink the Clown and Double A Arn Anderson. Now, it was because <laughs> Bourne was fired from the company and so that tag team can no longer be a thing, but that's what put them with precious Paul Ellering. Now they formed a stable that would hold one of their nicknames with precious Paul Ellering, Jake, the snake Roberts, and a guy named the spoiler. 
spoiler. So this is a guy that goes around and gives away the ends of movies. Yes. Okay. No, that's not what he did. <laughs> he was just a bad guy, masked wrestler that went around to the church. He was actually a pretty good wrestler, but it was really interesting to me that they called this stable the Legion of Doom. Oh, okay. Okay. Kind of take it off the DC Comics thing. All right. They did actually. It directly came from a cartoon of the day called the Super Friends. I don't know if you guys watch cartoons. I know oh, I was yes. religiously into cartoons. The Super Friends had this group called the Legion of Doom that was headed by Lex Luthor. They were in the swamp with this little like skull looking building thing. And that's where they got the name that stuck with the Road Warriors throughout their career. Now I'm going to have it stuck in the rest of in my head for the rest of the day. Thank you, George. Meanwhile, back at the Hall of Justice. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Well, very quickly, they pushed this tag team because Ole Anderson was the booker in Georgia Championship Wrestling at the time, and they won the NWA National Tag Team Championship in 1983. They ended up winning that belt three mm. more times. So wow. this started <laughs> their dominance. Now, in order to win it three times, that means you have to lose it at least a couple of times. Well, they yeah, did lose it. The odd thing was they didn't stay in Georgia championship wrestling for very long, only really one year. Mm -hmm. And then they got moved into the AWA. So this was, as we've talked about in the past, Vern Gagne's territory right. out of, I guess, Minnesota. Mostly. Minnesota. Yeah. Yeah. They were brought in to work as a heel tag team, but because fans loved their squash match style so much, you know, they would come in and dominate the jobbers in like 30 seconds because they were just these big, massive specimens compared to most wrestlers at the time. They were super muscular. Joey Laurinaitis, he's not very tall, but he was built like a brick tank. Yeah. And Hawk was like, he was the high flyer of the group, <laughs> but he still looked like he could bench press a Mack truck. Walls of muscle. Well, and that's, I think it's important to mention also that, you know, when you're watching a Road Warriors match, it was less of a technical match and more of a car crash. Yes. Because it was these a beat guys down. just <laughs> Absolutely. literally hit the ring, beat the ever-loving snot out of whoever they were across from, and then left. That was it. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> Barry, you say car crash is more of more of a train wreck. All right, fair. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to argue with you on that one. Let's let's make sure we get our simile semantics in order. <laughs> Call them the right thing. They they would just dominate the team. Well, fans in the AWA loved that so much that they ended up not being heels at all. They ended up working as faces because they just fans loved him so much. It's kind of a same thing that happens with Ric Flair. Ric Flair is the dirtiest player of the game, but people love and respected his work so much that eventually you just they couldn't do anything but cheer for the man. And that's the way the Road Warriors were in 1984 in the AWA. Now, Barry, mm -hmm. the next factoid that I'm going to yes, regurgitate because that's what this episode is going to be. Just a shit ton of facts about this awesome hey. tag team. This one probably hits home best to you. Okay. It was during their stint in the AWA that they started using Black Sabbath Iron Man as their I entrance music. I am Iron Man. <laughs> I love And again, going back to what I said earlier on, that added so much to that dominance fear factor of them coming to the ring. Because let's be honest, big guys coming to the ring all the time, not 
anything out of the ordinary. A lot of wrestling groups had the big monsters that would come in. When these guys would come in, however, hearing that downbeat of Iron Man and just walking, you know, watching them come to the ring at their own pace. It's like you you could almost see the fear in the opposing team because they're like, I don't know what when they're going to get here, but I know I'm going to die once they. Oh, yeah, (laughs) especially I mean. We talked a little bit about their appearance. I'll give a little bit more description. One guy has a regular mohawk. The other guy has a reverse mohawk that looks like the two haircuts should fit together somehow. Like if you smash their heads together, (laughs) they have the shoulder pads with the spikes a la the Road Warrior Mad Max 2 movie. They have face paint on both of them that is distinctive and vivid Mm -hmm. and a little bit menacing as well. A little bit? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm trying to be, I'm trying to find something nice to say about their appearance. They came in, they wore these full length black wrestling tights. Most wrestlers of the day would wear just the trunks, the underwear, right. the underman underoos kind of thing. They would wear these full length tights, the wrestling boots that look like motorcycle boots almost sometimes. They just looked every bit of badass, like the biker guy in a bar that you would be scared to death of if he asked for a dance with your girlfriend you'd be like yeah how long do you want her that's what these guys reminded me of well and and to be fair i mean if you take this is kind of a testament to to the two guys you know mike and john or excuse me mike and joe had you put those looks on anyone else it would have looked very comical very you know comic booky very cheesy very it, it had that potential but when you put that look on those guys never has there been a look that was just hand in glove so much so you've got spikes that are like four and five inches off of the shoulder pads you've got weird ass face paint you've got the messed up haircuts and just absolutely ripped and it's important to note that they wore the shoulder pads over nothing they came in with just the shoulder <laughs> no. pads no shirt no nothing else just those things yeah and it looked so terrifying it looked like they were some type of a projectile that's about to be fired at you yeah they absolutely did and they were dominant not just in georgia championship wrestling not just in the awa but when we come back from the break we're going to talk about one of their largest and most famous runs in jim crockett promotions wcw This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. AWA Championship Wrestling, Rod Sunsville at the Madison County Coliseum. This Friday night, April 24th at 8.30 p.m. There are five championship tag team matches. Come see the AWA's greatest tag team fight to the finish with the Mid-American Tag Team Championship. And save $1 by buying your ringside tickets now at the Madison County Coliseum. Or call 837-3940. That's 837-3940. I'm going to give you guys a chance to start some sections later on, but I really want to start this section as well because my heart and soul is with Jim Crockett Promotions WCW. That's what I grew up with. That's what I was a fan of as a child. And on April 19th, 1986, the Road Warriors won... (laughs) 
the Jim Crockett Memorial Cup Tag Team Tournament. I know that's a mouthful. That's a lot of words. That's a lot of words. (laughs) (laughs) I had seen them in Georgia Championship Wrestling. I saw none of their AWA stuff because it wasn't broadcast in my area. But the Jim Crockett promotion WCW run for the Road Warriors, that's what I'm going to argue was arguably their best part of their career. It definitely was one of the ones that made them who they were. You know, they, they, by the time they got into the other divisions, other organizations, anything along those lines, it was already established that these guys were the beasts that they are. Captain Kiwi, do you have any memories or did you watch any of those old JCP WCW matches that the Road Warriors were involved in? Any of those storylines? No, I haven't seen those. My experience was when they went to the WWF. Yeah, that's kind of what I figured. And that's a lot lot of people that's where they got even larger national attention now unlike some wrestlers we've talked about in previous episodes the road warriors were made for movies in my opinion but they never did any of that you yeah. never saw them do guest spots in the local like a team tv show of the week or the Battlestar galactic i could have seen them in any of that type of TV environment, but they never did any of it. They just simply wrestled and they did it better than any other tag team of their day. Now they were also featured attractions of the great American bash in 1986, where they were constantly battling Ivan and Nikita Koloff, as well as the midnight express. Can you imagine those three tag teams going at each other night after night. I would buy 10 tickets every day to go see that. You've got the Midnight Express, which has got the speed. You've got Ivan and Nikita Koloff, which has got the strength. And then you've got the Road Warriors, which is like the happiest combination of the two. Yeah, yeah. And all of those teams at one point or another in their careers were heel tag teams. I mean, the Road Warriors started out as a heel tag team. Mm-hmm. Yep. Ivan and Nikita Koloff were absolutely heel tag teams in the Midnight Express with Jim Cornette. I mean, good Lord. There's not much more of a heelish (laughs) tag team than that. Yeah, no kidding. Later on, they went to Starcade. 1986. And Barry, this is one of your favorite matches. This is where they were featured in the scaffold match against the Midnight Express and Jim Cornette. Oh my gosh, this one was so much fun to watch. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing else, just to watch Cornette around it. It was just brilliant. I loved it. Yeah, this is where Hawk had to confront him up on the scaffold. And Mm -hmm. we know from the history now that Jim Cornette is terrified of heights and he did not want to do it. He ended up hurting his knee really badly bad crazy match but still without the road warriors it doesn't nearly have the weight that it does and and to to cornet's credit nobody sold fear honest to god fear the way that he did in that match both against the road warriors and against gravity so <laughs> right absolutely they also joined forces with the booker of the territory dusty Rhodes, at the time and they had a really big feud with them dusty Rhodes, also nikita koloff and the four horsemen which oh god <laughs> ended up in what is considered to be dusty Rhodes's greatest idea 1987 great american bash they had the very first ever war games match no i told you if we're going to talk about it you got to say it right war games okay <laughs> Because <laughs> I'm only, not going to do that. Only William Regal can say that name, but go ahead. <laughs> Those matches, and I remember watching, that's one of the rare pay-per-views that my father bought. That Just seeing those guys in that War Games match, that was a brutal match. I mean, yeah. it was two rings side-by-side in cages, and they just beat the ever-loving crap. There's not maybe a 
better match to showcase the Road Warriors' ability than the War Games. Could you explain the War Games uh, match a little bit? Just a little the, bit more, setup? sure. Yeah. yeah, so the War Games were, you had guys enter the ring one at a time, and it mm-hmm. was decided by a coin flip. So what would end up happening is two guys, one from each opposing team, and they were five-man teams, by the way. Yep. Two guys would end up in the ring facing each other, and I say in the ring, I should say in the rings. There were two rings put together with a giant cage that surrounded both rings. Two guys enter, they start beating the hell out of each other. Then the bell happens and a guy from whichever tag team won the coin toss, they that guy gets to go in. So now you've got a two-on-one situation and that was the beat down time period. Then the other team would get a guy that would go in. It would be even again. It would go back and forth till you had all five from each team in the match and then the thing would happen that they called the match beyond and that's where you end up when they try to get one tag team tries to get the other tag team guy isolated and cause him to submit or a pinfall or something like that and when one guy from one tag team lost the whole team lost and that was the end of the match and I think it's important to mention that during that process of these guys coming in staggering there's no win the match doesn't actually start until all the guys are in the ring so they had that entire time to beat the ever loving snot out of one another until that last guy comes in the ring nice and that's, yeah, that's, that's what really made it's important to so mention that you're right that's why I said almost that exact same thing 30 seconds ago oh. but I'm glad you were listening <laughs> <laughs> The Road Warriors in that match, that's what made the War Games match as popular as it was. You could have had any other people in it. I don't think it gets that popularity that it has even to this day without that first initial involvement with the Road Warriors. They also teamed with Dusty Rhodes to win the NWA World Six-Man Tag Team Championship, which was a thing that kind of got invented at that time frame. Yeah, yeah. They didn't really do a lot of six-man stuff. Actually, that is also what kind of gave birth to the Freebirds got involved with that a lot too so well it was a time when they wanted to bring the free birds in yeah to wcw jim crockett promotion at the time so hey we got to have a championship that those guys can you know wrestle around let's create a six-man tag team championship dusty Rhodes and the road warriors held the belt they went back and forth with free birds and four horsemen and different things there was a lot of different people that jumped in and out on that um there was a moment in 1988 and this was something that i feel i I wanted to bring it up it it may be the reason why i created a wrestling podcast of the era there was an incident where dusty Rhodes had been beat down he had he was out of commission and the road warriors needed a partner to join them and at the time the most popular singles wrestler of the day was a man named sting (laughs) and they teased this the week before that sting was going to join the road warriors in this match and i told my parents as a young man i turned around to my dad and i said they're going to call him the brothers in paint <laughs> you called it you called they it absolutely <laughs> did they called him the brothers in paint on the next episode i remember tony shivani very clearly saying that phrase and i turned around and looked at my dad i was so proud of myself for having gotten that right ahead of time did you do the barry horowitz and pat yourself on the back <laughs> i should have i mean it's not like ray charles couldn't have seen it coming but well, still true, true i was very happy to have figured out that that little quote ahead of time. Now, at the time, there was also another big event that happened that's not part of the storyline, but had to be woven into the storyline. 
November 26, 1988, there was an episode of World Championship Wrestling, and at the time, they were under strict instructions from TBS, the television company that Ted Turner owned, Mm -hmm. from not doing blading in matches. They didn't want to see blood on TV. They were getting a lot of grief from the censors and the, you know, whoever, the FCC or whoever. And Dusty Rhodes came up with a storyline idea for the Road Warriors to attack him because in that Brothers in Paint match, they had turned on Sting and had turned heel. This was something that happened with their career oftentimes they would flip back and forth between heel and face during this match with dusty Rhodes, they took one of those spikes off of their shoulder pads that you were talking about barry mm-hmm. and they started gouging his eyes with them oh my god <laughs> <laughs> wow. of course Ooh. that was an excuse for dusty Rhodes to blade himself which he's right. got the forehead for it as we've all seen in the <laughs> yeah. pictures he's got the roadmap up there and tbs and ted turner had had enough of dusty Rhodes writing these storylines that went against their directives so they decided to fire dusty Rhodes from oh wcw gosh. in 1988 right after starcade at that point that's just uh, that's unheard of i mean you're talking about possibly one of the greatest bookers in wrestling history mm-hmm. you know one of the greatest storymen in wrestling history, not to mention one of the greatest performers in wrestling history. And you're going to fire him because he took a spike to the eye. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You know, sometimes businessmen make poor decisions. Now we know WWF ended up benefiting from that because that's where Dusty Rhodes went. (laughs) And the road warriors were not far behind in 1990. They decided to leave WCW because they had a problem with the president of WCW at the time, a dickhead named, Jim Hurd. You oh, guys God, know this guy. from the Ric Flair biographies mm-hmm. and Oof. books and documentaries and interviews he's given. Jim Hurd is the man who arguably made some of the worst decisions in pro wrestling history. This is the guy who just really ruined Ric Flair's ego. He got rid of people like the Road Warriors because they just left. This guy is a complete piece of work. And it was Vince, Vince Russo before Vince Russo was a thing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Right. I knew you were going to throw that in there. I knew you were. Gonna, you can't help yourself to not talk about Vince Russo. OK, you know what, bro? Oh, and geez. oddly enough, had it not been for Eric Bischoff after him shortly, I think WCW probably would have closed under Jim Hurd's leadership. They were that bad. But the Road Warriors said, you know what? Enough's enough. It's the 90s. We're out of here and we're going to head to a different organization. Well, the Road Warriors did actually make a bit of a pit stop on the way out from 85 to 90. 90. See, one of the nice things about WCW is they didn't really have these guys under contract. So they were able right. to go and perform in other locations for other organizations. Well, the Road Warriors got this brilliant idea of going to Japan. And while they were touring Japan, they slowly but surely became one of the most beloved tag teams in all of that country. <laughs> Wrestling gods. From 85 to 90, they basically, yeah, you're right, they established themselves as wrestling gods. They, mm. the crowd pops that happened from the downbeat of Iron Man are like nothing I have ever seen. And you talk about how during the Jim Crockett era was one of the biggest ones for them. I would make an argument saying that Japan wasn't too far behind. I think I would probably agree with you because you're right. They were super over in Japan. The one thing that always fascinated me about those Japanese matches that I would watch at the time, Japanese wrestling, when you go to watch one of those events, the fans are always super quiet and super respectful. It's a completely Mm -hmm. different experience than an American audience. You know, the golf clap type of thing is something that's very common in Japan pro wrestling fans. But to your point, when the Road Warriors were there, 
They lost These their damn minds. Little guys <laughs> lost their minds. You're exactly right. Oh my God. It was like the you know, like God himself had come down to the village and they were super over in that organization and in that country. I mean, I would imagine that there probably wasn't a place that those two guys could walk around, even without their get up and their face paint and everything else, without being recognized and mauled and stopped by a hundred million fans at any point. Yeah, George, it's Japan. They'd stick out like a sore thumb either way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, they absolutely stuck out in Jim Crockett promotions in WCW, obviously in Japan, and they kind of stuck out in the place they went to next, Captain Kiwi's favorite organization of all time, the <laughs> WWF. We'll talk about that right after the break. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Championship Wrestling's coming to Huntsville, Alabama, the Von Braun Civic Center, 2 o'clock in the afternoon on Sunday, April 8th. A great day. Chicago Street Fight, the Road Warriors clash with Doom. Eddie Gilbert takes on Mean Mark. Wildfire Tommy Rich comes to grips with the Samoan Savage and Shane Douglas versus Samoan Fatu plus more. Sunday the 8th at 2 o'clock, World Championship Wrestling in Huntsville, Alabama. When they came back from, from Japan in, I believe it was June of 1990, Vince McMahon got his grubby paws all over him, brought him into the WWF. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. We're not going to go ahead. <laughs> well, but he couldn't call them the Road Warriors. Vince McMahon was notorious at that time for changing everything about somebody as they came into his organization. Now, Barry, this is something you and I have talked about off air many mm -hmm. a time. Instead of calling them the Road Warriors, he started calling them the Legion of Doom. And the reason why is because there were already people with the name Warrior in yeah. the WWF. There was <laughs> Ultimate Warrior, Captain Kiwi, your guy, Kerry Von Erich, the modern day warrior, <laughs> as he was known at the time. Oh, so they needed something different. They went back to that old thing back from Georgia Championship Wrestling of the Legion of Doom. Barry, you don't like that name very much. So, yeah, I I guess it's just the, the, the impact that the name gets. When you have Legion of Doom, it makes it kind of sound very <laughs> cartoony and very, you know, just it, it doesn't carry the impact. But when you say something like Road Warrior, that's the thing you want to get out of the way of. So. Yeah. Well, when even as the Legion of Doom, when they were announced, they were announced as Road Warrior Hawk and Road Warrior Animal. Yes. That's yeah, true. I always thought that was funny. I was like, OK, you're going to change their name, but you're going to keep their other names. <laughs> Well, and I guess they were trying to let their fans know, because this is 1990, this is not the 80s. At this point, Vince McMahon had somehow accepted that wrestling fans knew about stuff other than WWF. What? So I think he was trying to acknowledge. <laughs> Vince acknowledged that there are other wrestling organizations other than his? I, I think maybe he was trying to at least let the fans know that he was in on the history of these guys. Okay, fair. And I think their history probably had a bit of a monetary value to Vince because truthfully, <laughs> their history was what made them 
as soon as their music hit, as soon as, you know, Iron Man would hit, fans knew exactly who was coming out and would pop crazy. And Vince McMahon wanted to make sure that he took advantage of all of that history, I think. That makes sense. Well, one of the things that we have to talk a little bit about is that Vince McMahon already had a Road Warrior team at the time. Do we really have to talk about this? Demolition. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm sorry. Demolition is what happens when you buy the Road Warriors off Wish.com. Okay? Yeah. That is like the worst version of the Road Warriors that could have ever existed. They're definitely the Kmart of the Road Warriors. Yes. No question <laughs> the about Go-Bot. it. The GoBot. The yes. GoBot of the Road Warriors. <laughs> Well, what are you going to do if you bring in the real World Warriors? You're going to have them feud with Demolition right away. And so immediately they started this big feud. Of course, the Road Warriors just totally destroyed Demolition. (laughs) But Demolition went from less of a power team in that moment and more of a sneaky, deceitful team. They started doing the the cheat moves as opposed to the power moves. Yeah, yeah. I definitely remember when they made that transition. And you you got to and a lot of that had to do also with the two guys in Demolition. Let's be honest. They, they there's no way they were going to stand toe to toe with the Road Warriors. Well, remember so. <laughs> there were three guys in demolition at the oh, time. That's right. They right. did a free bird rule kind of thing. I, I, and I you're try right. very hard to forget that. So <laughs> <laughs> I always thought of demolition as kind of the BDSM version of the Road Warriors. They wore those stupid <laughs> little halter top leather things with wow. the silver jewelry. <laughs> they. I, <laughs> They were terrible. Oh, Let's they were just horrible. admit it. Oh yeah. They, they WWF used them in video games. Yeah. I mean, they used them everywhere because they were trying to develop something that was as popular as the Road Warriors. They couldn't do it. So when the Road Warriors finally decided to come in, great. Now we can just get rid of the the demolition team. <laughs> Which, and they and they, they did. They kind of did. did. Yeah. Yeah. And the funny thing is all three of the guys that were in demolition, you know, actually had longer careers. I want to say from the time that they left demolition to when they were in it. So, well, all but the one guy, the reason. Yeah. So there was one guy who ended up getting injured in the team and couldn't Mm -hmm. really compete anymore, but they kept him on. They were trying to make him part of the organization's front office that ended up not working out behind the scenes. But yeah, you're right. They, they definitely dissolved quickly. They had only been in existence for three years. You got to think about at this point, this is 1990, 1991. The Road Warriors had been in existence for seven years. Yeah. And yeah. destroying people all around the globe. And it really felt longer. Like yeah, for me, it really did. The Road Warriors at that point, I felt like they had been around for 20 years or so, but really only seven. There was an incident in 91 at Madison Square Garden where the Legion of Doom defeated the Nasty Boys which again, another overhyped tag team that uh, I just never could get behind, but they beat them in a no DQ street fight to win the world tag team championship. This was the first time that they held the WWF world tag team championship. And by the way, you know what it did for them? Hmm. They became the only tag team to win the world tag team titles in all three of the top promotion of the 1980s. Oh, wow. They held the AWA championships. They held the WCW Georgia championship wrestling NWA championships, whatever you want to call them. And at this point, now they hold the WWF championships. Only tag team to this day that has ever accomplished that. Wow. And rightfully kind of so. legitimized them. Yeah. Yeah. Now, since the AWA is no longer around and neither is WCW, WCW. Yeah. <laughs> nobody's really got a chance to accomplish that. But it just, it brings forward the fact that we talked earlier, you've got the Dudleys who've held multiple titles, multiple times in multiple organizations, mm-hmm. the Rock and Roll Express, the Midnight Rockers, all these great tag teams. None of them did this one 
feet. And that's really important because it's one thing to move from territory to territory to territory. It's another thing for the person who runs that territory to put their most preeminent tag team championship on you every yeah. time you come in. That's fair. I yeah. mean, in modern time, I guess the only ones that are even close is FTR. You know, they've gone through and won all over the world. And actually, there's many pictures of them holding up all of the belts that they currently mm. hold. <laughs> but it, to say them in the same voice as saying LOD or the Road Warriors, honestly, it doesn't really do it justice because they right. may be winning titles left and right, but they didn't do it the way that the Road Warriors did it. <laughs> right. Well, and also you have to look at the organization that those titles come from. The True. Road Warriors held titles in all manner of small organizations as well. Yeah. But to hold the titles in the three largest promotions of that decade. Yeah, that's unheard of. Yeah, crazy, crazy, of. crazy. Well, the Road Warriors, unfortunately, didn't stick around in WWF for very long in this initial run. Now, they had other runs, but I purposely chose not to put them in this podcast because A, they don't really fall within the time frame of what we like to do with this podcast. And B, I hate those other runs. Yeah. I swear to God, yeah. I hate the LODs few, like they're more modern runs. The things that Vince McMahon tried to do to repackage them, to make them quote unquote relevant, just let them be who they are. And we're not going to talk about Heidenreich. We're just going to leave that alone. No, 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 no. Yeah, we're out of that one. But in 1992, the LOD had a match where they had brought in Paul Ellering, their original manager, as you remember from WCW, wrestling. Yep. They were at WrestleMania eight later on after WrestleMania eight, they had this house show where somebody, and I swear to God, I looked, I couldn't figure out who came up with this dumbass idea. They incorporated swear to God, a ventriloquist dummy named Rocco uh, into their oh matches. God. When has this ever been a good idea? They've oh, done this never. multiple times with multiple performers. <laughs> never. I mean, Al they, Snow they, is the only exception. Well, but Al Snow brought that in. They didn't create that for him. I exactly. Mean, Ch Chavo Guerrero had to talk to a hobby horse. All Harry right. Saturn <laughs> had to talk to a mop. I mean, you know, <laughs> when has this ever been a good idea? <laughs> well, I think the fans at that house show agreed with you, Barry. The segment bombed so badly that WWF never aired it. It was that bad. <laughs> God. Because of that, idea. And because of probably some other more personal issues, Hawk actually said, fuck it. He left the company because of that gimmick right after SummerSlam in 92. He said, that's it. I'm done. They did the SummerSlam thing. Now, by the way, just as an aside note, this is the event where the Road Warriors rode to the ring on motorcycles. Oh, in front I remember of like thousand people. I against, remember this. Their match against Money Incorporated. Yes. And just, oh God, what an image. Ooh. They've instituted motorcycle uses in, in wrestling over the years from time to time. But I mean, Triple H has done it. The Undertaker's done it. You know, several mm -hmm. other people. Nobody looked as good as the Road Warriors on those No, things. I think everybody else was kind of chasing that moment that yeah. happened in SummerSlam 92 with those guys. Now, you would have thought they had this big super high in front of 80,000 fans, a huge stadium, you know, at SummerSlam 92. But Hawk was so pissed off about that Rocco thing. It's right after that that he just quit yeah. and left WWF. Now, Animal stayed with the organization for a little while, and he did a little small singles run, and he tried to do some stuff with some of the other people in the organization. But unfortunately, 
he had a severe injury to his back and he ended up having to go on a lengthy hiatus that ended up being just the end of his WWF career. So that's really when the Road Warriors just kind of left the WWF. Now, Aaron, I talked about it in the last segment that this was your favorite organization. You haven't talked a lot during the segment, but I'm assuming <laughs> you have a lot of memories and like fond thoughts about LOD and the WWF back then. Well, watching them with the a feud against demolition was it, was it was very impressive just to watch the the power that they just the, the power they had i remember watching summerslam 92 it was one of the few pay-per-views outside of wrestlemania that i actually was able to watch a friend had had rented it and taped it and brought it over and and watching them come out on those motorcycles was amazing everything about that was just top notch mm. except for that fucking dummy <laughs> <laughs> But I, I obviously it was filmed. I've never seen the video for it because it wasn't aired on TV. Have either of you guys tracked it down on YouTube or anything? Uh, I've not. I tried. I, I really tried, and I kind of felt dirty trying to find this. You know, I'm not gonna lie. It's it's just it's like, hey, let's find the suckiest moment in the history of this tag team. And I've seen like stills of the shot, but I couldn't find the actual video. And even mm. the stills, you can kind of just there's a one infamous one that's cycling that has the two of them standing with Rocco between them, and you can just see the look on their face, like, what the hell are we doing? You know. <laughs> abomination that we have to deal with through all this look they just look at this like just kill us now you know I I think what Vince might have been trying to do is they were kind of coming out of that comic era but still kind of in it so I think they were trying to get WWF might have been trying to get their footing so to speak Mm -hmm. and trying to put a lighter edge to the why though right you have the scariest tag team that ever existed why do you want to lighten them it's Vince Okay. Yeah. I can't argue with that. <laughs> I, I think you're right. I think it's just Vince McMahon wanted to create something that was his because his ego is so large. He can't believe that somebody else could have made something that was more popular than something he made. And maybe it's self-sabotage. Maybe it's self-destructive. Whatever term you want to use, it definitely screwed the greatest tag team no of all time. The Road Warriors, the Legion of Doom, doesn't matter what you want to call them, but Hawk and Animal were absolutely the greatest end. We're going to talk a little bit about their legacy right after this. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Sunday at 6, the World Wrestling Federation is back in action at Sheffield Arena, live only on Sky Sports. After WrestleMania, there are scores to be settled. See Hacksaw Jim Duggan face off against the narcissist Lex Lugar. Mr. Perfect meets the head shrinker Samu. Shawn Michaels defends his intercontinental title against Crush. Kamala, the Ugandan giant, meets Doink, the evil clown. Plus, many, many more, including the 36-stone sumo monster Yokozuna. That's Sunday, live at 6 o'clock, only on Sky Sports. 
the legacy of the Road Warriors is absolutely cemented in those runs from 1983 up until 2000. Barry, you've talked off air about, I'm glad we glossed over LOD 2000 and all the other stuff. <laughs> so why you got to tarnish it? Why you got to tarnish I it? Know. You know? <laughs> I, I'm just mentioning that we are aware of it for our fans oh, yeah. who think maybe we didn't do our research or aren't really professional wrestling fans. We absolutely are. But that's why we didn't talk about the stuff. <laughs> what I do want to ask in this segment is just one simple question. I think it's a good idea for people to understand our personal opinions. So Captain Kiwi, what is your opinion of the Road Warriors LOD and their legacy. Well, I love I love LOD. I think that their history, even their short time in the WWF was just absolutely phenomenal and they went down as one of the best the best tag team of all time hell when i was eight years old watching them they scared the living hell out of me <laughs> and when my friends and i would do some you know, play wrestling my friend was a football player i put those shoulder pads on and i was you know road warrior animal nice there you go nice barry how about you <sighs> When you're talking about impact, and what I mean by impact is, can you still see the remnants of somebody today? I think you would really be hard pressed to find a tag team that has had more of an impact on the concepts, the storylines, the characters than the Road Warriors. Mm -hmm. I mean, you could make arguments with like the Freebirds and stuff like that. Okay, fair. But if you ever, and I, I said this earlier, if you ever see a big man coming to the ring that looks like they are just going to absolutely destroy somebody that directly goes back to the road warriors. I can't think of even singles wrestlers that had that type of an impact that would influence somebody because I'm a big believer that without the road warriors, you don't get people like the undertaker. You don't get mm, people like okay. Kane. You don't get Samoa Joe. You also don't get Goldberg, but we'll go away from that. <laughs> so, uh, but just that idea of big men that can come in there and do what they could do not just power moves top rope moves you know speed moves everything they were literally the best packaging of a tag team in history and you can still see it reflected today i even remember watching match not too long ago oddly enough i believe it was with sting where they did a tribute to Road Warriors and they actually did the Road Warrior paint when they came out. Oh, and yeah. I was like, okay, yeah, that right there screams volumes. What about yeah. you, George? What's your thoughts on this? Well, I, I think we're all of similar opinion. They were and are, I don't want to say, you know, I know that unfortunately Mike Headstrand is gone. He, yeah. he died from complications of personal issues is the way I'm going to say it. But Joe Laurinaitis is still around. He's even done stuff in the modern pro wrestling era from time to time. He's tried to work with other people to reform the same magic that he and Hawk had together as the Road Warriors. I kind of like the fact that it was a moment in time that won't ever be replicated or duplicated. I really don't believe that there will be another tag team that will do the same kind of thing. I know the Bullet Club has had members that have done a similar shtick from time right. to time, but it's always a big man and a speed man. Yeah. It's never a big man and a slightly less big man <laughs> who has some speed. <laughs> I think that I'm happy that they lived during a time and existed when kayfabe was still a real thing. If you put the Road Warriors out there today with the modern smart audience and the internet and whatnot, they don't have the same panache. 
that they had in 1983, 1984. Yeah. When you have people who are wholly sold into the fact that this wrestling thing is real and that these guys are just beating the ever loving crap out of some jobber that just happened to pop up on stage that night. It has a different kind of glamor and mystique to it that it'll never be recaptured. To me, their legacy is they were one of the greatest creations of the kayfabe era. George, to your point about Road Warrior Animal, unfortunately, he actually passed away in 2020. Well, fuck off, Captain Kiwi. (laughs) Thanks for ruining my goddamn time. You You could have let that one go. Shit. Fuck 2020 and COVID. God damn it. Well, I guess that's a way to find out that there's another unfortunate thing that we have to say, and that's this is the last episode of our first season of this podcast. Normally, this is the place where I tease the next episode, but... We originally agreed to do 16 episodes, and if you can't count, it's in your podcast stream. This is episode 16. That's a good way to win listeners over, George. (laughs) Right? I'm just, you know, I'm all about the making people happy. I have had a tremendously fun time putting this podcast together with both of you gentlemen. It has been an absolute honor and a blast. And I have had more fun doing a podcast. Don't let Gen X run up here. This I've had more fun <laughs> doing this podcast than I have in a long time. No, it's not. I, I love all my podcast opportunities, but this one has been particularly close to my heart growing up the super fan of pro wrestling that I did and still being a fan of pro wrestling today, doing a podcast about the era that I loved the most You know, it's like when as a kid you had a big wheel and then as an adult, you get to give a big wheel to your son. There's those special moments. And that's kind of what this feels like for me. I I completely agree, George. And with, with me, it's kind of like, and I think every wrestling fan has had that moment where you're wearing a wrestling t-shirt and you're out at, you know, grocery store or out at the, the post office or whatever. And you see somebody else that has another wrestling shirt and that instant bond that you form with that person without a word being said from across the room with a complete stranger, because you both know that this was something that was important to you that made up part of who you were and you share that. And I think that's, that's something that I'm very, very proud of and very, very glad that I've had that opportunity to share with the two of you, not to mention the fact of knowing Aaron Aaron's hatred of Vince Russo and your hatred of New Jack just makes it even more fun. <laughs> it's, it's, it's been a, it's been a great, uh, a great 16 weeks. Definitely. You know, being in that, that same club with each other, you know, wrestling fans and all our listeners being able to, to join us in our conversation and our revisiting memories of, of some great matches. It's just been, it's been awesome. And sharing stuff with you, Captain Kiwi. Yes. I mean, you know, a lot of this, yeah. you were kind of coming into the, the tail end of so it was kind of nice that george and i got to be your yoda <laughs> okay that's not the way to end this podcast but okay I guess we'll just have to move on we do have the potential to do a season two it all depends really on how wide this podcast audience is and how much feedback we get we haven't really talked about it but if you would like to reach out and tell us how you've enjoyed any of these episodes please feel free to do so george at GenXGrownUp.com is my email. You can also reach out to us on the Gen X Grown Up Discord server, genxgrownup.com slash Discord. We have a lot of people that have already been in that Discord server talking about the pro wrestling podcast that we created from that parenthood. And if we are going to do a season two, I need to hear more from the fans out there, see some more downloads. And if all that comes to fruition, 
I'll be happy to do a season two with you guys. It'd be a lot of fun, I think. Oh, absolutely. Definitely. And if you do throw you know messages on there, if you have some suggestions on topics that you'd like us to go over, throw them in there. Give us some ideas, things that you know that would be from the territories era. We're always excited about trying to dig down and talk about you know. There's so much stuff that's out there that we haven't even scratched the surface on. <laughs> well, that being said, Captain Kiwi, thank you so much for joining me on this journey. It's been an honor, sir. Barry, always a pleasure to have you here. George, I give you a 10 bell salute, sir. And fourth listener, it is you we appreciate most of all, and we will talk to you next time. Bye-bye. Before the days of internet and in YouTube, we was after brewing Bobby Heenan and Rick Rude, and Jake would be the breather. Our theme song is courtesy of nerdcore hip-hop artist Beefy. Explore his work at beefiness.com. Turnbuckles and Territories is a production of Gen X Grown Up and a member of the Evergreen Podcast family. Learn more at evergreenpodcasts.com. Turnbuckles and Territories, we be stuck to screens in 1980s, and we came from them and made them believe by the Turnbuckles and Territories.